heard this phrase, when the heat is on? What do you think of when you hear that phrase, when the heat is on? When the heat is on. Yeah, right? I had to look that up. A guy named Glenn Fry wrote that song. Did you know that? How many of you knew Glenn Fry wrote that song? That's more of you than like your pastor, okay? <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. I get it. I get it. Okay, what's, what movie did he write it for? Beverly Hills Cop. Okay, you even know that. Wow. All right. You know, some circles, it might mean that uh, the cops are chasing you. I, I don't know that. I just read that somewhere, okay? Uh, or it might be when you're in an interrogation room after they've caught you. Again, I just read that somewhere, okay? The heat is on. It, it usually stands for those times in life when there's maximum pressure in your life. And we're in this series of messages in the book of Daniel called Unshakable, Thriving No Matter What Hits You, and today we're in the third chapter. And it's the story of these three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, they're thrown into what? The fiery furnace because they won't bow down to the king. I would say that is maximum pressure in their life. Now, I doubt that any of us in here today are ever going to face a fiery furnace. At least, we hope not, right? But do we go through fires nonetheless? Do we go through struggles? Do we go through problems that uh, sometimes apply maximum pressure? The story of Daniel 3 really is a story about idolatry. King Nebuchadnezzar has built this image that most commentators believe is an image of himself. Here's the description, the first verse. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. In other words, this thing is larger than life. It's huge. And he calls all the officials together, and there's a list of them there in the second and third verses, and He issues this decree, so he gets the messenger, the announcer, if you will, of the culture, and he says, make this, and here it is, verse 4 through 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, trying to act like a herald, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. In other words, this is compulsory worship. I don't even know if that's... Is that right? Is that is such a thing? If, if worship is really worship, can it, does it have to be compulsory? You know, in our culture today, we have our own idols, don't we? Don't we have larger-than-life idols sometimes? A few quick points about idolatry. The world inflates ordinary things and expects me to worship them. What kind of things does our culture worship today? Nebuchadnezzar was this, this ordinary man. He was just like you or I, but he thought he was pretty extraordinary. 
And he thought he was worthy of uh, everybody else who was not near as great as him, <laughs> that they would bow down and worship him because that's who he was and that's what he demanded. Do we have people in our culture that think everybody ought to worship them? Movie stars, right? Musicians, athletes. Did you know that even the internet is making movie stars today? Sometimes we worship idols like money or physical beauty or wealth or success or fame or power or influence. Another thing about idolatry, if I reject society's idols, people are going to try to burn me. <laughs> you think that's true? You know, uh, I remember a time when I was in high school and I went to this week-long camp at Estes Park, Colorado. I, was, I went to high school in Denver, so it wasn't that far. And uh, it was for student leaders from all the Denver high schools. And uh, it was billed as this leadership conference. And, but when we arrived, we were split up into all these different groups, uh, these discussion groups. And the first discussion group took place and it was all about, it wasn't about leadership skills. It was about how to discover the inner power within you. I mean, from the very first five minutes, I was very uncomfortable with what this was all going to be about. And the discussion went on and on and on. I finally said, well, I don't think I have any power within me. I think if I have any power, it's given to me by a holy God who created me and died on the cross for me and rose from the dead to give me new life. How do you think that went over? I mean, it fell like a thud in the room. And they looked at me like, are you a nut or what? And that was in 1975. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine what they're telling kids today? I was so glad when that week was over. I mean, you and I, we don't know the times in which we're going to be called upon to take our stand. We don't know how imposing the world and its idols are going to become. Will our character, our faith be tested to the point of these three young men? Well, we just don't know. The story continues. The music sounds. Everyone drops what they're doing, falls to their knees to worship the great idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, almost everybody. <laughs> Can you imagine the scene? I mean, probably hundreds, thousands of people in the streets just... And there's these three guys. Just standing tall. Not gonna. Not gonna do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are immediately reported to the king. Isn't there somebody in the culture always wanting to report the guys that are doing the bad thing? <laughs> you know, we used to think tattletales were children. Not so much. You know, I read this week, there are three kinds of people. There's the stuck-ups. That's Nebuchadnezzar. They're, they have their nose in the air. They're better than everybody. Everybody ought to worship what they say. Everybody ought to hang on their word. They're the elite, as they would call themselves. Then there's another class of people who are the kiss-ups. 
Do we have those in the culture today? Those that are ready to report if your garage door is open too long. (laughs) Sorry. Those of you who live in Sun City, sorry. (laughs) They are the morality police. They are the legalists in the church. Amen? They they are the self-proclaimed, I got to report to the boss, everybody that's making mistakes, and he'll be so proud of me. And then there's the stand-ups, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I'm not going to compromise. Look at all these, uh, when you look at these three Hebrews, and uh, I think we can learn a lot about how to handle the tests of life when maximum pressure is being applied. And uh, the king, because of the tattletales, knew that they had refused to stand, and in his mind, they just misunderstood what we're doing here. So he calls them to him, and he's going to go over it again with them. He's going to do his own investigation. We read what he, his encounter with them, and starting in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, in other words, you didn't understand. Let me give you another chance. Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, tragon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. It's going to go well with you. I've got to tell you, if you don't worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And then he says... And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? I don't think old Nebby should have said that. I just don't think he should have said that. You have to ask yourself, are there people in our culture today that think they're better and smarter and more powerful and more in control of the situation than God. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I wonder how that sat with him. We We basically don't answer to you. The first thing we see in how to handle the heat, the pressure, the maximum pressure of life is this. Faith in God trumps human authority. No pun intended there, by the way. Okay. (laughs) Not trying to say anything. No hidden message or anything. They don't defend themselves with this human institution. They're facing a direct church versus state conflict, aren't they? The king wanted them to do one thing, and God wanted them to do the opposite, and they were choosing 
this day to stand with God. States requiring you to violate your faith, and they just refused. We're just not going to do it. You're going to have to do whatever you're going to do. You say, the fiery furnace, I guess that's where we're headed. But we are not going to bow down. I don't have to tell you, we've got a lot of problems in our culture today, don't we? And it's becoming more and more of a culture that demands compliance to unholy and ungodly things. And I'm here to tell you, as a follower of Christ, we are first a citizen of heaven. And heaven has authority over every human government and institution. And we are called to be obedient to our government. But when there is a conflict, who are we going to stand with? While we're on the subject, you know, as a culture, I'm reminded of that verse over in Colossians that says, in Christ all things are held together. You extract Christ, and what happens to all things? Unraveling occurs. And... uh, I I see on the news all the time, we have really, who think they're smart people trying to fix everything. Don't you see that? Government officials, there's a problem. We can fix that. We can restrict this, take that away. We We can fix it. We can provide more money for that, more money for this. We can fix it. I think Benjamin Franklin said it well, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. The more ungodly we become, the more need for control we will need. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the problems of this nation are spiritual problems. The the, the problems of this world are not going to be fixed by the government. I know that bursts some of your bubble, but uh, the government is not the answer to our problems. I, I would even tell you this, a healthy economy is not the answer to our problems. I mean, do we like a healthy economy? Well, probably so. But it is not going to fix what ails us as a nation Verse 17, they're still talking to the king. If it be so, in other words, if you do throw us into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I wonder if there was any sarcasm in their voice. I just, I don't know why I wonder these kind of things. If it were me, I probably would have been a little sarcastic. You're glad I didn't hear that. Whatever he said. But look at verse 18. Even if he does not deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Mm. Faith in God, no matter the cost. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when other people are doing it? 
Wow, it's inspiring. You know, they believe not only is God able to do this, we are completely willing to place everything about us in His hands. No matter what happens, what a statement of faith. I'm with God no matter how this turns out. Again, this may be revolutionary to some, but our faith is at odds with the systems of this world. (laughs) It just is. And I think sometimes we kind of massage that. We just don't want that. I want to be all in for God. Yes, I want to be all in for God. But boy, I sure want to kind of do it their way too. And uh, For instance, the Word of God tells us that uh, sexual relationships are to be confined to a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. How controversial is that? The Word of God doesn't have this allowance out there for the deviation from that, no matter if it's heterosexual or homosexual or transsexual or bisexual or pansexual or metrosexual or any other word our world creates. It is sacred to God. And his sacred gift to mankind. And uh, here's another example. The Word of God teaches us and tells us that uh, life, all life, is precious because God has created it. Even if that life lives in the womb of his or her mother, God sees that life as his wondrously made creation from the moment of conception. Well, even before, even before the world was created, he had that child in mind, and I will stand with that no matter the cost. Or do we, do we work with that a little bit and kind of, yeah, we, that's such a radical position. I think of the Hebrews uh, there in Babylon that day. When the decree came down, because there was more than just these three guys, right? There's a whole bunch of Hebrew captives. And uh, we know from the story, the implication is, is that when the sound went out and the music started and they all fell down, all those other Hebrews, what did they do? And I'm sure what's going through their mind is, uh, I'm bowing, but that's because uh, I don't want to get thrown in the furnace and uh, I don't really mean this worship and... Uh, God surely understands. He doesn't want me to lose my life over this. Right? And we see Christians rationalizing truth with their compromises in the culture today. And it's the culture that suffers because of it. Do we get that? When we don't live the loving truth of God, the culture suffers. So, Nebuchadnezzar is mad. I mean, if you read the verse, I'm not going to read it, but it says he contorts his face, he's so mad. You ever been that mad where your face gets all shriveled up? 
I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. He is so mad, he contorts his face and he says to the guys, turn that furnace up seven times hotter. You know, I think in the back of his mind, he's going, oh, their God may be pretty powerful. I need to crank this thing up. Bind these boys up and throw them in. It says the fire was so hot it killed the guys that threw them in, right? That's how hot it was. So here's the rest of the story. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He's looking in. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look. Don't you love it? I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Sometimes he almost gets it right, doesn't he? <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High. Where did he get that? The Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, <laughs> he's now Mr. Worship, uh, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating his, <laughs> he's talking about himself in the third person, he wants to distance himself, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own God. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> shall be torn limb from limb. Well, he doesn't quite get it yet, but uh, we don't do that, folks, by the way. Uh, where was I? Uh, and their house is reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way, then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper or be promoted in the province of Babylon. Who joined them in the fire? This was not a son of the gods. This was the son of God, I believe. This is one of those supernatural appearances of the Lord Jesus who's come to rescue and deliver those who have put their faith in Him. What we need when the heat is on, what we need is the powerful presence of God. There's just something about these 
crucible moments in our lives that when we trust Him, I've had this failure, I've had this, I'm a victim, I've had a loss, these terrible crises or the times when we're called to stand up and be counted for Him and uh, He shows up in these big ways and He loves it when we trust Him. No matter what happens, I'm with Him. And we can look at what the power of God's presence did for these guys in this life and death test that they're going through. I think the first thing we see here is that God's presence is protection. Protection. I mean, think about it. The Scripture makes this point to give us all of the details of the condition of these guys when they exit the furnace. It says that not even a hair on their head has been singed. It says they're, I don't know why it gives this detail, but the trousers weren't damaged. Aren't you glad the trousers weren't damaged? Right? It says that they didn't even smell like smoke. Reminds me of this passage in Isaiah 43, and I think there may be some who need to hear this today. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. Don't you love that passage? <laughs> I've encountered people in my ministry that uh, would hear this story and hear that, uh, that verse, and they would be quick to say this. Well, he sure didn't do it for me. There was time, I'm I'm destitute, I can't make my bills. I've been praying and praying and praying, there's no fourth person in my life showing up. Somebody I cared about got sick, I had this disease, I prayed and prayed and prayed. He didn't do anything for me. When we get trapped in that kind of thinking, folks, I want you to know something. That is a whole different faith than what we see happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Somehow we have concocted this faith that God is to be used for personal gain. It's not me all in with him. It's, what have you done for me lately? We've, we've constructed a God that is supposed to be at our bidding rather than a God who is sovereign over all and in control of all things and deserving of our complete all-in trust. 
I know many of you remember a moment in your life. I remember the moment in my life. I was a young man in my 20s, and I remember this moment as if it were yesterday. When I came to the end of every hope that I ever had for my life, every dream that I ever had for my life, and I said to God, I made this very critical decision. I will trust you no matter where it takes me. I will trust you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If it makes me unpopular, lonely, an enemy of some, I am choosing and I'm declaring today that I'm standing with you. And I witness to you, I have never regretted for a moment what happened some 40 years ago. Well, maybe 35, I don't know. Psalm 1-6 says, the Lord God watches over the way of the righteous. Don't you love that? He watches over. He superintends our way. Yeah, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have issues, that pro- problems that come along. But God is going to be watching over and superintending. And His presence is protection. His presence is freedom. You got the scene, right? Nebuchadnezzar saw four of them in the fire. What does it say? What does it say they were doing? Walking around. I don't think they were walking. I think they were dancing, okay? Wouldn't you be dancing? I mean, wouldn't that have been an awesome thing to be in that fire that day? I don't get much buy-in there, but you know what I mean. I think it would have been awesome to be there and nothing's hurting you. There's not even the smell of smoke on these guys. But... Catch this. (laughs) There is something missing from what they went in there with. (laughs) What's missing? (laughs) The shackles. The thing that kept them from dancing around. The shackles of man. I think that'll preach, don't you? I think that's good, that God set them free through the test of the fire. You ever needed a fire to root out of you, a shackle that kept you bound up, a refiner's fire, if you will? (laughs) You know, I grew up... uh, I grew up with a, 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 a very deep fear in my life. Uh, it was the fear of, uh, of being rejected and somebody not liking me. I wanted everybody to like me. Anybody standing with me in that, you know what I mean? I wanted everybody to like me. You and you and you, everybody needed to like me. And if you didn't like me, I didn't know what was the problem. How can I make you like me? 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are going, man, he's got problems, but you know what I mean? And it began to guide my behavior. I went through college and I went into ministry and it never changed. I, went to, I was in ministry and I wanted everybody to like me. Whew. You're telling me. I mean, other places, not here. <laughs> well, I don't know. I took the vote earlier, but you know. Thanks for that. Yeah. One day I came to the Lord God and I said, I'm never going to make it in ministry. There ain't no way this is going to work if I have this fear or I'm going to the tank when somebody looks at me cross-eyed or whatever, you know. And I prayed and I prayed and the Lord, by His grace, answered my prayer. He gave me an avalanche of rejection. (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes the only thing that sets us free is the fire. But God walked with me through that fire. I came out the other side, and I remember my first reaction. It wasn't near as bad as I thought it was going to be. I can do this by His power, by His fire, by His presence. He sets people free. What's, what makes you fear? It, it's probably something that you're, you don't want to let go of. It, it, it can be anything. It can be money. It can be your spouse, your kids, your lifestyle, your job, your ministry. Uh, and folks, we've even sanctioned and sanctified praying for our idols. We do. We want God to help us maintain our idols. And Lord, I need more money. Come on. You don't need God to help you with your idols, folks. You need God to free you from your idols. You need Him to, if it takes a fire, it takes a fire, but you need Him to release you from that intimate place, that, that intimate place that is all His, that you've put other things. So that he becomes the center, the singular focus of our worship. I want the worship team to come and prepare as I make this last point. God's presence is evangelistic. God's presence is evangelistic. The king experienced God's presence. The king experienced God's work and God's presence. And what does he say? I want to go with that God, right? I'm going to go with Him. I'm I'm sure there were others there that saw that miracle that day, and they placed their faith in the Lord. And when they saw these three Hebrews, just being with God, that speaks to me today. I remember last year I was at a conference, and... uh, this conference at Gateway in, in South Lake, uh, Texas, and it's a huge church. And uh, they were asking the pastor, Robert Morris, about the early days of the church. And they said, when you were hiring your first worship pastor, what kind of job description did you give him? Because they wanted, this was kind of a pastor and worship leader conference. And uh, they were kind of trying to give pastors input on how to hire worship leaders. And I was there. Yeah. 
I didn't listen real well, but you know, that's all right. Uh, But get this. He said, I told him. I don't really care what songs you pick. I don't really care how many people you got up here or how many worship, how many instruments you use. I just want one thing. The presence of God. That He is the singular focus of the church. That we're all in with Him. Because people, and they're living proof of this, people will come if God is there. And people will find Him if He's there. His presence is that that takes the breath away. That's so good, I just never want to leave. And uh, it's unmistakable, it's undeniable, it's heaven. Come to earth. It's the presence of God, the fourth man in the furnace, that sets the captives free, that loves unconditionally that rebel. And yes, can even forgive a tyrannical dictator. (laughs) It's God's presence. Not our fancy words, not our fancy ministries. It's God's presence that changes people. 